Today, we welcome back Jeff DeCagna, aka the Association Contrarian, who thinks associations need to think beyond membership if they want to help reshape the world in the aftermath of COVID-19. Jeff, welcome to Deep Dive. Thanks very much, James. It's a pleasure to be back with you. So uh, today we're talking about membership orthodoxy. Um, but as you have close ties to the American Society of Association Executives, I just thought I'd ask you for your reaction uh, to the selection of Michelle Mason as uh, that organization's next CEO. Well, thanks um, uh, for asking me about that, James. I really appreciate it. And um, before I talk about Michelle, I, I do want to say something about Susan Robertson, who is the current CEO and is, is concluding her tenure um, in, at the end of, I guess, the end of August. Um, you know, Susan was the, the right CEO at absolutely the right time for, for ASAE um, during a very difficult time of, of transition and really tragedy with, with, with John Graham getting sick and then passing away. And then, of course, the global pandemic and her long experience with the association was exactly the right uh, thing during this difficult time. And as the first female CEO of ASA, you know, she was um, she was a trailblazer, and and so and I'm I'm so proud of the work that she's done, and so grateful to her for her contributions to ASA and to the community over these not just these last few years when she's been CEO, but really her entire career. Um, and I just want to, you know, I think she needs to be. It's important to acknowledge what she everything she's done for for ASA in our community. Um, I'm very excited uh, that Michelle is coming in as CEO in September. I've known Michelle for a very long time. Um, I think this is an historic moment, the, the first black female CEO, first black person being CEO following the first female CEO. It's a great time of transition for an organization that's now 101 years old. And I know that Michelle is someone who cares deeply, not only about the association community, because she's been in associations for such a long time, uh, but someone who cares deeply about innovation, about learning. And I, I know that she will bring uh, her passion and her energy and 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 her experience uh, to bear on uh, on this position and, and creating opportunities for for the association community to thrive as we move deeper into this decade. And so I'm I'm as soon as I got you know the word, which is relatively around the same time everyone else did. Um, I I uh, was so excited, so filled with joy for her and for ASA and for our community. And um, I I can't wait, and I, I look forward to doing everything that I can to. Uh, support her as she moves into this role and um, uh, really moves ASA forward uh, into the rest of this decade. So we're, we're having a great CEO depart and we're, I think we're going to have another um, great CEO coming on board in a few months. Absolutely. Now you mentioned the future there and it's clear from your latest column for AMI that you think the 2020s are going to be a turbulent period for associations. Uh, now your column is all about membership, which you describe as the most sacrosanct of all the orthodoxies uh, where associations are concerned. Can you explain uh, why you think that is the case? For so many people in associations, membership isn't something that we do, it's who we are. It's a matter of identity for people who work in associations and for the associations themselves. And as a result, it creates very sacrosanct orthodoxy um, in our in our community, starting with, as I wrote in my column, the idea that associations must have members and everything that flows from that idea. And while I totally understand the value of membership, I, I, I think I write in the article and I want to restate very clearly, I'm not opposed to membership. 
right? I'm a member of multiple organizations. It's not an opposition to membership. It's a view, and I think an important view, that this is not the only way that we can relate to one another, that not everything needs to be defined in this way. And so, you know, I think one of the challenges that this very strong focus on membership creates is um, it, it creates a kind of tribal mentality. Everyone's encouraged to um, find their tribe. We hear that phrase a lot. And the problem I see with that kind of tribe, that the tribal mentality is that it leads to tribalism. And at this particular moment in time, we need to, we need to think differently than that. So, so I, I just see that this, this, or these orthodoxies all around membership are very deep. They are perpetuated by the very broadly by the kind of content ecosystem in the association community. So lots of people, consultants and, you know, publications and others technology companies are all kind of spreading around the, the need to find members, serve members, engage members, grow members. You know, this message is relentlessly repeated. And, and I, again, I, I understand the rationale behind that. I just want to propose that we consider that we need to have other ways of approaching relationships with stakeholders other than the one that, by the way, we prefer, right? Like we define what membership is. We prefer that membership be the relationship. So we're setting the terms. And I, I'm of the mindset that we need to be more open and more inclusive in our thinking about how we relate to stakeholders um, that we want to serve and that we would like to collaborate with on any number of issues that maybe we don't get to define all those terms. Maybe we need to have a different perspective on how those relationships are configured and how they unfold. So are you saying that membership can act as a hindrance in terms of the association's mission statement, their, their purpose? And, you know, if you see everything through the prism of, of membership, you can, uh, you can be blind to, to relationships that could be more um, or just as uh, productive. I think that's right. And, you know, as I write in the, in the column, I think if there's anything that we, I, I really hope we've learned in the last 15, 16 months, it's something we should have known before, but it's something we definitely know now is that there are big issues facing us that are not just going to affect the people who fall within the boundaries of the organization as we define it, right? The, the issues of the pandemic, the issues of inequality, the issues of, of artificial intelligence and, effect, and its effect on professions and industries, the issues of the climate crisis and its effect on associations and, and the professions and industries they serve. All of these issues that are before us in this decade are not just affecting the people who are members of associations. They are affecting everyone within those industries, whether they choose to join or within those fields, whether they choose to join the association or not. If we're going to seriously address these questions, we can't limit our thinking to those who pay dues as being the ones that we serve. And, and, and I think what's particularly troubling is what, you know, what some of the advice that I've seen being put out there, which is essentially a doubling down on this kind of membership centric approach, right? Like our mem we, need, we need to make our associations be what our members want. And we need to sort of fully focus on our members, the exclusion um, of other people. I, I just think that that's the wrong approach. We, we shouldn't be at this moment in time when we need inclusion, when we need diversity, when we need 
um, an expansive holistic view of the challenges before us and, and how we're going to address solutions. This is not the time to be further increasing the barriers between our organizations and other stakeholders. This is the time when I think we should be asking new questions of our stakeholders and saying, you know, what we need to learn from you and not trying to guide every one of those conversations back to membership. Like some, like sometimes we talk about wanting to learn, but the learning we want to do is we want to learn how to figure out a better way to sell the membership. That's not what I'm talking about. We, we need to sort of open our, our, ourselves up to the idea that our conversations need to be and should be different. And that, as you say, we can have perfectly uh, mutually beneficial relationships with stakeholders that are not defined by membership, but instead are defined by what's the value they seek? What's the value we seek from them? How do we work together to make that a mutually beneficial exchange of value, whatever form it takes? Some may might be tangible, it might be intangible, but let's not predicate it on the mm -hmm. idea that everyone has to join, especially if we've been asking people to join for years or decades and they keep saying no. Like I'm, one of the things I've seen in some organizations, some associations is, is they keep offering membership and people keep saying no. And so the internal view is that we just need to find a different way to say it, or we'd say it louder, like turn up the volume on it. And, and what people are saying is this is not what we want, right? So instead of trying to force something that people or organizations, whatever the membership type is, instead of forcing it, Let's just listen and learn and figure out how to configure things in ways that are interesting to the stakeholders we want to serve and, and then look for mm. opportunities. And we can't do it for everyone. I understand that. I'm not saying membership's going to go away. I write that in the column. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to have members. That doesn't end. It's just a question of diversifying and opening ourselves up to new possibilities mm. that include people. Uh, rather than using our eligibility requirements or our governing documents or our, our orthodoxy to essentially exclude people because they don't fit our ways of wanting to configure those relationships. And does that argument extend to uh, stakeholders or organizations or individuals who might not have a specific interest in terms of specialty to a specific association, but may be able to bring something to the table? So what I'm thinking is, how if you look at uh, how medical associations how specialties have, have completely diversified over the last 20 30 years there are so many specialties in the med medical world now so if those associations are working in silos um that's not very helpful in terms of solving uh, real life healthcare problems right. and if associations are fixated mm -hmm. on membership then they're sort of necessarily looking inward rather than outward if you see, if you see what i mean Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, increasingly what we realize is, you know, the solutions to the challenges we face, whether it's in healthcare or any other field, are 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 collaborative, right? They're they're team-based. So much of healthcare now is not about a single provider, but about a healthcare team that often centers around the physician, but also comp is comprised of nurses and other professionals who are also serving a patient or or you know, serving a community. Um, and that's certainly, again, another lesson of the pandemic is that, at least in the United States, is that one of the challenges we've seen in the healthcare space in the United States is that we have a, a woefully under-resourced public health system that was operating already on a shoestring at the time of the pandemic has been stretched, you know, thin to a great extent. 
and and hopefully there's going to be reinvestment in that public health system. But that was a you know had to be a sort of community collaborative approach, not predicated on a single person. So, and that's and again that dynamic exists in other professions as well, where it's not about one individual contributor. It's about you know how does that how does a team of people, whether that's an intact team or some kind of collab you know, collaborative group, works together to provide a solution. We shouldn't be excluding people. Like I earlier, I used the word eligibility. What, what really concerns me is that when eligibility requirements that are built into governing documents essentially say these people can't be a part of the organization one way or the other. Now, some associations, I'm sure, will say, well, we find other ways to work with them, and that's great. But, you know, again, maybe sometimes out of necessity, they have, they have to move beyond the orthodoxy. But I still think in a lot of organizations, the attempt is to say, how can we make these people members? That is the mindset that exists. And that mindset continues to be perpetuated. And, and what we need to do is let go of the idea that every relationship needs to be predicated on membership and, and instead look at, you know, look at the field and how is, where is it going? What does the future look like as we approach 2030 and, and move beyond and ask ourselves, how can we be building relationships with stakeholders, not just stakeholders that we know, not just people uh, or companies or organizations, whatever, again, whatever the membership type is, um, that are that we understand well, but also how will we have relationships with stakeholders that we don't yet really fully comprehend because the nature of their work is still unfolding. There are professions and ways of working that are going to change, going to adapt to the introduction of technologies or new technologies and so on. So how can we think about our relationships with stakeholders as expansively as possible looking at the whole in a holistic way at what's happening within our, our field and also in adjacent fields. And we can be opening ourselves up to the idea that people who don't work directly within our space could still make a meaningful contribution because as you say, in healthcare and in other fields, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new specialties. There's a lot of um, new ways that people are, are working on things. Let's open ourselves to the idea that there could be meaningful contributions made by other stakeholders that are not predicated on membership, we could offer them something that they would find beneficial. And, you know, we can explore that, we can learn. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. But at least we have to be open to the idea that that could exist. And, and I think sometimes the membership orthodoxy prevents us from getting So how there. much of this do you think actually just boils down to semantics then and how we define members, how we define membership? Because not all associations charge membership fee, for example. They'll just call you a member if you register. So would one way around this be simply those stakeholders who say they're not interested in members uh, or membership it would be simply, I'm playing devil's advocate a bit here, but simply to call them members anyway and bring them into the fold um, and not worry so much about uh, defining membership in strict terms, but having a sort of looser community and calling that I, I I hear what you're saying, and and I know that there there are organizations that that operate in that way. Uh, I don't think it defeats the orthodoxy though, because it still promotes the idea that that's the relationship we have to have, and and especially as associations rethink their business models and have to engage in business model innovation, um, which is something that I've been advocating to them for a long time, but it's become even more urgent. Um, in the aftermath of uh, or sort of where we find ourselves in the pandemic right now is, uh, you know, that we have to be open to the idea 
that our connections with stakeholders are going to be predicated more so on their terms rather than on our terms. Like, so when we visualize a business model, one of the things I always um, remind my clients about is that we can't list membership as a stakeholder segment, right? Because that's a relationship that we offer to a particular stakeholder group that is defined in a granular way and, and is independent of the organization. And so membership is a relationship. The stakeholders exist whether the association's offer of membership is available to them or not. And we have to conceive of the idea that those independently existing stakeholders can create value in ways that don't depend on whether we offer them any kind of membership and, and we can benefit each other if we're willing to get beyond this idea that we get to find to define all those terms and instead sort of pursue it from a position of let's kind of negotiate with one another about what those relationships could be. Now, one thing that comes up frequently in associations, people say, well, if they're not a member, they're a customer. And I just think that that's too blunt a way of uh, blunt a, uh, distinction to be looking at it is that, you know, if you're not a member, you know, which in many ways in some associations is essentially uh, a way of asking people to pay for more things, you know, join mm -hmm. and then we'll pay you, we'll charge you for more things at a discount. And then customers are people who don't join, but still buy those things without the discount oftentimes. That's not a good conceptualization of how to build relationships with, with stakeholders. And especially if we, if we look at this now beyond the realm of the value creation and the business model, as I write in the column, you know, we, we really need to see our organizations become truly 21st century societal institutions that have a larger that play a larger role and have a larger responsibility um, in our society. And so if all we can do is distinguish people according to sort of a consumer mindset, that either they're a member consumer or they're a customer consumer, and, and, and that's all there is, then I think it's gonna be very problematic. I think that makes it very detrimental for us in this, in this decade to sort of see those distinctions in such narrow ways, but instead sort of see ourselves as we have an opportunity to be inclusive, um, to grow our diversity, to go beyond the statements of, of DEI and to actually um, embody it in the way we conduct ourselves to say, we're gonna be an institution that really serves um, a profession or industry, but also serves um, society and, and addresses societal questions uh, as they affect particularly our, our field. And, and that demands that we go beyond that consumer mindset that we have stakeholders who are connected to us on the basis of purpose and we have mm -hmm. stakeholders who are connected to us on the basis uh, of of other you know of our advocacy efforts on behalf of certain questions that are that are beneficial not just to our field but also to society and so the relationships need there needs to be a wider variety of ways of thinking about how we connect the go beyond merely the value creation of aspect of things understanding that that's very important but in this decade and beyond those other relationships become even more significant as we look at some of the issues that I talked about earlier that are that are definitely on the table now and will be for the foreseeable future. You mentioned uh, DEI there, uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion. Are you suggesting that there are, there are sort of socioeconomic factors that prevent people becoming members and that's something the association should be aware of? Well, I mean, I think that there's, you know, unfortunately, um, the, the idea of, of an association with, with eligibility requirements, um, that there is sort of an embedded 
um, exclusion that sort of exists in in that regard. And and I'm not suggesting that associations can't have a way of, of bringing people into their organizations um, that that you know who are part of a profession that they can't sort of say okay only people who work in this field or who have this license or who have this designation or whatever that those people can't be members of course they can of course they can do that what i'm saying is that if we if we want to be seen as as taking seriously the idea of dei we have to go beyond the notion of we support diversity equity inclusion in our profession or in our field or in society we oppose racism we are anti-racist or you know the you know we're, we 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 believe that black lives matter or we are we're opposed to white supremacy all the things that i think that organizations will often say and and i believe them when they when they say it but to make that to go beyond the symbolism that, of that to the substance of that i think one of the ways there are many ways that that can be done but one of the ways to do that is to recognize that there are stakeholders out there who could have a relationship with the organization and what we want to be do, what we want to do is to be as inclusive as possible in our approach and our mindset about this the way we think about it um, you know and, and therefore the way we the practices we put in place are would then be very focused on how can we include people we should sort of default in my view is is there a way to include stakeholders in the organization can we find a way to overcome lower those barriers so that people can be a part of the organization even if their role their relationship is a little different than the ones we have traditionally offered the ones we've traditionally configured for certain uh, for certain groups so i just i think that one of the things we have to do in associations and again i'm thinking primarily about us associations but i'm sure it applies to other uh, associations elsewhere in the world and certainly you know in, in Europe is is that we need to sort of think beyond the idea that we are our membership offer is the only thing that we can we have to offer um, that's the only way we can establish the relationship and as the need for the absolute need for diversity equity inclusion is becomes has become so crystal clear to us this is a way for us to to say you know what let's look for ways to make our organization more inclusive through different kinds of relationships and and hopefully as a result that makes it more diverse and we have to be intentional about being more diverse intentional about being more inclusive and and also it forces us uh, you know to really look at where are the inequities in our organizations are we have we established his over hit over the course of history a way of approaching relationship building with stakeholders that is embedded in a set of inequities that keep some people out and 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 you know include only those who fit certain criteria certain characteristics i just think we want to be mindful of all of that and try to address these challenges um, that have historically existed in so many of our organizations so i think i see it as a great opportunity to reorient ourselves for the future and to reinvent uh, the kind of organizations that we want to be so that we can address these larger questions that are facing us um, with increased credibility, uh, increased legitimacy, and also an increased sense that we can make a contribution because our diversity and inclusion brings us um, all kinds of new thinking and new ideas and new possibilities for yeah. innovation, uh, which I think is very exciting. I just think it's probably worth reiterating at this stage, Jeff, because you did say at the, at the beginning that, you know, you're, you're not opposed to membership per se. And I think, you know, what, what you're making is a sort of subtle 
distinction here um and you wouldn't suggest that associations should just ditch membership but you, you, what you're saying is it shouldn't be a uh ossified way of thinking it shouldn't be something that drives the, the association um from a purpose point of view so this is this is what i sometimes think happens to some associations right they have a purpose they have a mission and that somehow is diverted into serving the members in a way that doesn't necessarily fulfill the mission as well as it might be fulfilled. I think that's what you're saying, is it? Yeah, I think that there's been this uh, discussion that's gone on in associations off and on, and it rears its ugly head from time to time. You know, oh, membership is dead. I, I don't, I think I've been pretty careful over the course of my career to say, you know, membership, I'm not saying that membership is dead, right? Um, as you point out, I, 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 I am not opposed to the idea of membership. I've never been opposed to the idea of membership. It's simply um, a statement on my part that, you know, it can't be the only thing, right? And, and, and in addition to that, the, the only other thing can't be yet another essentially consumer-oriented way of, of looking at things. And I know that there will be people who will listen to this who will say, well, you know, our membership thing is not really consumer-oriented. We want to create a sense of belonging. We want to create a sense of community. Great. I love that. I'm just saying create belonging and community with people who aren't members too, right? And and don't and and also don't be um, don't look at what you're doing and say, okay, we're not looking at this through a consumer lens, because of course we are. Um, because another word that I often push back on is the issue of engagement, which is a euphemism in a lot of organizations for we want you to buy more stuff. And, and all I'm saying is that work on the development of relationships that are truly mutually beneficial. That, that's a phrase that is very important to me, is that the relationships be mutually beneficial, that if we're going to reach out to stakeholders, let's reach out to stakeholders who really see the value in what that relationship could be, not something predicated on how we define it, but what they see that where they see the connection point. And there's value that they bring to the table too, because they bring diversity, because they bring inclusion, because they bring different points of view, because they bring access to new relationships and new um, places we haven't gone before. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. And sometimes the membership, the transaction of membership, and, and part of the reason why this is true also, James, is that, you know, what boards do is boards will use the membership number as a proxy for organizational health, right? How many members did we gain this month? How many members did we lose? What's our total membership number? These are numbers that boards will look at thinking that that is a legitimate proxy for organizational health. And I would argue that all it is is a is sort of a, um, a metric that makes us feel good if the numbers are positive, but doesn't necessarily tell us what we may have lost. You know, if we had a thousand members um, net gain in the given month, but that means we we gained, um, you know, fifteen hundred, but lost five hundred. I'd want to know what did we lose in those five hundred people, right? How did our community, how did our network, how did our relationships get diminished? potentially by the 500 that we lost. So, and I'm not trying to sort of say the 1500 gain hypothetically isn't good, but we're also losing something. So rather than using membership numbers as a proxy, I'd rather see us sort of look at what kinds of relationships are we building? How do those relationships make us stronger? Um, clearly there's going to be trade-offs and all this. Nothing can be ever done um, in an absolute fashion. But I just want to, you know, challenge 
association decision makers to sort of think beyond this orthodoxy and, and say, you know what, there, there are other ways that we can be relating to, to stakeholders. And it's especially important right now, given everything we've been through, to be thinking more expansively and with greater with a greater sense of a desire for inclusion in our organizations, rather than just going back to what we were doing before and kind of doubling down on a strategy that is so membership centric that in many cases has not really helped our organizations. It has actually become problematic for organizations because um, you know there's no there there may not be obvious value in the membership, um, or there may be other challenges that the membership construct creates for the business model um, or, or other factors in play there, I think that we have an opportunity to look at this through a different lens. And now is the time to do it because we are in the state of uncertainty. So let's use the uncertainty to our advantage by exploring what it makes possible. So what can association decision makers do to push back against uh, what you describe as membership orthodoxy? If you were, if you were, president and you're trying to convince your board uh, that uh, there was a new way of doing things what would you what would you say what would you do well I mean, if i if i may be so bold i would say you know take my column and and have a conversation about it right you know um i i present three um pretty core orthodoxies um in my column that i think every organization should should look at, right? Associations must have members, right, is one of them. And membership is the only relationship associations can have with their stakeholders. And we've talked extensively about that in our conversation today. And, you know, it's the members association is another um, is another good one. And, and, and think about, just start with these three, right? And, and ask the question, how do these orthodoxies affect the way we think about our organization? How have they affected us in a detrimental way, right? And be honest, about how the um, detrimental effect of, of thinking in this way has affected the organization's decision-making, affected its operations, affected its business model. You know, have that conversation in an honest and forthright fashion and try to push beyond the assumptions that, are, that exist around each of these beliefs. And I think just starting with these three orthodoxies um, is a great start. And then it will tease out other Orthodox beliefs, and um, and and put those on the table as well. And then one specific thing, you know, related to this column, um, I'm just going to quote it here, you know, very quickly because I think it's important. Is you know, have a discussion with the board and even with your staff, right, with other contributors to this about the following point, which is, and I I write this in the column. No matter how much they want that. No matter how much they want them to value it, boards and chief staff executives must accept that some stakeholders will never want membership, right? And and that, I think, for some boards and for some chief staff executives and other association professionals is a real challenge to wrap wrap their minds around. No matter how much they want them to value it, boards and chief staff executives must accept that some stakeholders will never want membership. So if there are stakeholders out there that we would like to find a way to serve, and they don't want membership, what might we do to have a relationship with them in the absence of a relationship? I think that's just a good thought experiment. If we could not offer stakeholders membership, if it was essentially forbidden, what would we do to create value for those stakeholders? That's a, a powerful, I think, challenging thought experiment for boards and chief staff executives and others to have in the context of this that would help them push through 
the orthodoxy and all this to see that there are other options out there. So I hope that this column can provide people with some fodder for the right kinds of conversations um, that will, will generate light on all this um, and hopefully lower the temperature of the heat because I know there's very great passion around the membership issue. And this is an attempt not to generate more heat, but to, to generate more insight on how, how the relationships can be different going forward. That's, that's absolutely right. You're, you're right when you talk about passion around the membership issue. This is the one issue that, that raises people's blood pressure. People are, in the association world are incredibly, a lot of them in any way are incredibly committed to the idea of membership. And they see it almost as the last bastion yeah. of, of what an association should be. But listen, you've provided us yet again with so much to think about and uh, so much food for thought. I like that idea of the thought experiment. Uh, people go away and and think about uh, what they can offer stakeholders if they're not if they're not going to be members. I think that's a good place to start. Um, Jeff, what's your next column going to be about when when you write that for us in August? Uh, the next column is going to focus on uh, what associations need their boards to become. Um, as a, as an educator. Um, one of the things that I greatly value is the idea of becoming that through learning um, and through a process of building our individual and collective capacity, um, we can become more than, than we are at any given moment. We can always be growing. Um, that is very much you know, central to my way of, of doing my work. And so this, this, this upcoming column will focus on what we need our boards to become in this decade because um, my expectation is not is not that we can achieve everything in a matter of months, right? Uh, we need some time, um, but there there needs to be a, a focused and intentional effort for um, for boards to grow um, beyond their historical role in in associations um, and the role that has been designed. Uh, for them by a variety of, of third parties out there um, and instead really become uh, the kind of, of, uh, of stewards um, that, that our associations will need not only in the rest of this decade, but uh, for decades to come. So that'll be the focus in August. Brilliant. We look forward to that uh, very much indeed. Jeff, thank you very much for your time today and we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, James. It's always a pleasure.